Is it? Okay. Now it is. All right. He's risen. Mark gives this account in Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let's pray together. Father, even then, eyewitnesses to an empty tomb didn't really understand exactly what they saw. Lord, for us, removed by so many years, so much faithful preaching, Lord, so many changed lives, such amazing growth of your church, Lord, even this side of all of that, we need you through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, through your word through the words that we sing and preach to ourselves and hear proclaimed by others. Lord, through all of that, we need you to do a work in our hearts this morning, Lord, and just help us with eyes of faith and, Lord, with our hearts enlightened to understand the great power that you have exhibited in the resurrection of Jesus and that you have made that power available to your people. Lord, we thank you for the living hope that is ours in Christ. And, Father, we pray that this morning as we worship, as we sing, as we Listen, Lord, as we see baptisms, as we, Lord, come together as your people, as the people of faith, Lord, as the body of Christ, we pray, God, that we will honor you, that we will proclaim your great goodness and love, and that, Lord, our risen Savior would be made much of in this place today. And that, Father, as we do that, as we do that, Lord, you'll draw people to yourself. And we pray that. In the living, powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Thank you. 
come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation.
stand together and sing.
Um, this morning I have um, Nathan Bratcher. He's my son, um, my oldest son of quite a few. And um, over the past um, really course of his life, we've talked much about what it means to follow the Lord Jesus, what it means to trust Christ and then obey him with your life. And, um, you know, we, I have always tried to lead our children to think about what decision they're making and not make it because I want them to or anyone else wants them to or because they think it's the right thing to do, but rather because they understand that we're sinners in need of a Savior and that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only Savior. And so throughout this time, Nathan's been very open and honest with me over the years and saying he wasn't ready and he was thinking about it and didn't know um, what he wanted to do next, but he knows he needs to do it. And we've had some really good conversations over the years that has prompted me to think about um, how do I guide and lead and instruct him without feeling the pressure. And to make a long story short, um, two instances really come to my mind and one was, um, this has been a few months ago, well, almost a year now, um, I was sleeping in the bed one night, and I get up around 4.30 in the morning, most mornings, not every morning, and I woke up around 5 that morning pretty late, and I had a text message from Nathan that said, um, Dad, are you up? And I thought, if my son's up at 4.30 in the morning, something's going on. <laughs> so I ran upstairs, and he was on the bed with some tears, with tears in his eyes, and I said, what's going on, man? You okay? And he said, well, he said, I had a dream last night, and I just want to know how to interpret it. I said, okay, so what's the dream? And if I can remember the details correctly, he said, me and Grandma were walking towards who, we, who I thought to be Jesus, and we got there, and a blue beam came down, took my mom to heaven, I mean, Grandma to heaven, and a red beam came and took me down. Daddy, what does that mean? And, you know... My response is, Nathan, I don't know what that means other than this. You know, God is personal to every one of us, and every one of our experiences with him is different in many ways, though we all must measure that according to the truth of Scripture. And so my advice to him was, I think you need to get alone with God himself in the Scriptures and determine, do you really know Christ as your Savior? There's a real truth to this. That without Christ, we spend eternity separated from him forever. And so over the course of a month, a few months or a year, and fast forward, we had small conversations about what it means to be baptized and to obey Christ. And we recently watched a secular movie um, called The Matrix. Has anybody seen The Matrix before? It's got a lot of philosophy. And after The Matrix, it, it truly prompted a gospel conversation. Um, really about redemption and what that looks like and, you know, what the world kind of twists that to mean, but what it really looks like throughout the Scriptures. And at the end of that conversation, Nathan's response was, I really need to be baptized in order to show my obedience to Christ, don't I? I said, absolutely. Absolutely. He said, I'm ready. When can we do it? And so throughout this um, course of, you know, his life, it's been a pleasure to see how God is working and moving in his heart to make him a follower of Jesus Christ. It's a privilege for me this morning to stand before you and be able to be a part of his baptism. And you pray for us. You pray for him. You pray for me um, as we walk this journey of following Jesus Christ in obedience and as he grows in the Lord. Nathan. I don't really know what to say anymore. Because he about just said everything. <laughs> but, 
Yeah, a few months ago, stuff like that happened, like the dream and watching the Matrix and stuff, and it kind of woke me up to realize that I need to get closer to God, and I need to get baptized to show that I'm faithful to Him. So after a while of doing that and getting closer and learning more about it, that's when I knew I wanted to be baptized. So now I'm standing here in this hot pit. It's <laughs> warm. <laughs> That's about all I got to say, honestly. So Nathan, standing before the church this morning, you're proclaiming that you've trusted Jesus Christ with your life and that you believe that He alone suffered, died, and arose that we may have life in Him. Yes, sir. Um, and in being baptized, you want the world to know, and you want particularly this church to know and to keep you accountable to the fact that you with your life are going to obey the Lord Jesus Christ in every way. Based upon your profession of faith, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, for we die with Him, and we are raised again to new life. Victoria, because you have professed your faith in Christ and expressed to this church family your desire to follow him, not just in baptism, this is the first step of obedience, but in a walk of faithfulness as you trust in him. Because that's your profession of faith, it's my joy as your pastor and brother in Christ to baptize you today. And I do that in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Buried with him in baptism and raised with him in the name of the Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We pray, God, that you'll use the, the picture of what it means to be buried with Christ, Lord, to be dead in him and then made alive through him, Lord. That through our faith, as we trust in your word, Lord, as we trust in Jesus, Father, our old self is crucified with Christ. It is no longer us who live, Lord, as individuals, but Christ who lives in us. And the life that we live now in this flesh, Lord, we live by faith in Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. Thank you for that testimony today from Nathan and Victoria. Thank you, Lord, for the way you work faithfully through our 
families, our church family. Especially, Lord, thank you for your word and for the gospel that you give us today. And I pray, Lord, that that gospel would continue to be sung, proclaimed, and heard. And, Lord, maybe hearts will be stirred to move in this step of obedience as well. And, Father, we ask all this in the name of Jesus and praise you for our Savior. Amen.
Somebody speak Spanish? Uh, anybody in here speak Spanish? <laughs> Pastor Denser is going to come and read scripture for us and pray. Don't worry if you don't understand Spanish. I think the English is going to be on the screen for you. Okay? Thank you. Good morning. Happy Easter. Please, eh, vamos a leer la palabra de Dios, por favor, en Mateo, capítulo 28, versos del 1 al 15. La palabra de Dios dice lo siguiente. Pasado el día de reposo, al amanecer del primer día de la semana, vinieron María Magdalena y la otra María a ver el sepulcro. Y hubo un gran terremoto porque un ángel del Señor, descendiendo del cielo y llegando, removió la piedra y se sentó sobre ella. Su aspecto era como un relámpago y su vestido blanco como la nieve. Y de miedo de él, los guardas temblaron y se quedaron como muertos. Mas el ángel, respondiendo, dijo a las mujeres, no temáis, vosotras. Porque yo sé que buscáis a Jesús, el que fue crucificado. No está aquí, pues ha resucitado, como dijo. Venid, ved el lugar donde fue puesto el Señor. E id pronto y decid a sus discípulos que ha resucitado de los muertos. Y he aquí, va delante de vosotros a Galilea. Allí le veréis. He aquí. Os lo he dicho. Entonces, ellas saliendo del sepulcro con temor y gran gozo, fueron corriendo a dar las nuevas a sus discípulos, y mientras iban a dar las nuevas a los discípulos, he aquí, Jesús les salió al encuentro, diciendo, ¡Salve! Y ellas, acercándose, abrazaron sus pies y le adoraron. Entonces Jesús les dijo, ¡No temáis! ¡Id! Da las nuevas a mis hermanos 
para que vayan a Galilea y allí me verán. Mientras ellas iban, he aquí uno de los guardias, fueron a la ciudad y dieron, dieron aviso a los principales sacerdotes de todas las costas que habían acontecido. Y reunidos con los ancianos y habido consejo, dieron mucho dinero a los soldados, diciendo, decid vosotros. Sus discípulos vinieron de noche y lo hurtaron, estando nosotros dormidos. Y si esto lo oyere el gobernador, nosotros le persuadiremos y os pondremos a salvo. Y ellos, tomando el dinero, hicieron como se les había instruido. Este dicho se ha divulgado entre los judíos hasta el día de hoy. Vamos a orar brevemente, hermanos, por favor. Let us pray. Padre nuestro que estás en los cielos. Father in heaven. Padre, te adoramos en esta mañana. We worship you this morning. Recordamos y celebramos la resurrección de tu amado Hijo Jesús. We celebrate the resurrection of your son. La resurrección de Jesús. The resurrection of Jesus. Nos asegura nuestra resurrección. Which give us the assurance of our resurrection. Padre, esta resurrección debe llenar nuestros corazones de gozo y alegría. Father, please help us to rejoice in you. Padre, somos conscientes que vivimos en este mundo y muchas veces el miedo, el temor, quiere inundar nuestras almas. Father, we, we know that we live in this world that many times, Lord, we, we walk in despair and we don't want to do that, Lord. Cada vez, Señor, que el miedo quiere inundar nuestra vida, que miramos la tumba vacía porque Él ha resucitado. Father, help us to fix our eyes in you that when fear comes to us, that we will look at that tomb that is empty because you have come back to life, Lord. Father, Help us, as you told the, the women that morning, go and tell my brothers, go and tell the others that I am risen, that I am not in that tomb anymore. Father, help us to do the same with so many people here in our community. Te adoramos, Father. We worship you, Father. En el de Jesús. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning we uh, also celebrated baptism at the uh, at the sunrise service. Watch the video. You're going to get to see some of that. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now there is no condemnation. Now there is no guilt or shame. For those 
stand together and sing. And cry. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my life, my strength, my song. This cornerstone is solid ground. Firm through the pieces proud and sore. What lights of God, what depths of Christ died for us. And if we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, 
how much more shall we be saved through his life? Amen. Great. 
Doesn't that make y'all want to sing? Well, let's do it then. Y'all stand with me and let's sing. Christ, our hope in life and death. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence? That our souls to Him belong, to 
Let me see that just a second. Your, your stand. Yeah. No, no I, need the, I need the book. I need the lyrics. <laughs> Sorry. 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 No, I was, as we're singing, and I'm, as, as I hope all of us do, actually listening to what we're singing and thinking about the words that we're singing, um, Christ, our hope in life and death. Earlier than that, in the, in the song right before that, we sang from life's first cry to our final breath. That's, that can be a long way, or that can be a relatively short time frame, right? That dash in the, in the tombstone that we talk about sometimes. Um, depths of peace, when fears are stilled, uh, strivings. I mean, all of these words. I said this a couple of days ago at a funeral, and I'll say it again this morning. I am so thankful for the honesty of God's word. Sometimes it's brutally honest. And some of you have been able to stand here or sit here this morning and sing and amen and do so with enthusiasm. Amen. And others are like, "Hmm, I'm I'm not so sure. And others may just be in the depth of it this morning. You know, you're here because it's Easter Sunday and that's what you do on Easter Sunday. Um, And you know what? Jesus would say, I understand as would a whole host of saints before him who would say, I get it. I understand where you're coming from with that. We've been talking about over the last couple of Sundays here, if you're, if you're here with us for the first time in a while or maybe just here for, for Easter, then welcome. We're glad that you're here. We've been talking over the last couple of weeks about what the cross means, what's the significance of the cross, and specifically what it means that Jesus is our substitute and that he is what the Bible calls a redeemer. And we've been doing that through the Old Testament eyes of Old Testament saints, primarily David. And for just a minute this morning, I'm not going to take very long, but I want us to think about one other Old Testament character, and I'll call him a saint because he is, um, and, and listen to his testimony about his redeemer. So when I say the name Job, what comes to mind for most of us? Suffering. Yeah, suffering. Having the patience of Job. Having the perseverance of Job. Having the problems of Job. You know, go on and on with that. And Job is certainly a character we can look at and see those characteristics. I mean, I encourage you at some point in time, I know it can be discouraging to do so, but just Read through the book of Job. And, and even as I'm flipping through the pages here and looking at the headings above the paragraphs in my Bible, I see Job laments his birth. I see Job replies that my complaint is just. Job says, my life has no hope. Later on, he says, there is no arbiter between us or there's no, there's no referee. There's no one between me and God. He goes on and, and, and just other times says, where is God in this? He is completely silent. Other times he blames God. All right. Now, I know later on in the book of Job, it says that Job was without blame. But Job was with blame in one sense that there were times when he became very critical of God, very, very critical of his circumstance. And he questioned God. He accused God in the midst of all of this. He's got these three friends are around who are like, you know what? If those are the friends I've got, stick me in the eye. All right. 
I don't need friends like this. And neither did he. He didn't. But in the midst of this, we have an amazing testimony that comes right in the middle of the book. Now, Job's going to have his downs after this, but he has no place where he's higher than this. And it says, I'm reading from Job chapter 19, starting in verse 23. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with a pen of iron and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at last, at the last, he will stand upon the earth And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. And then he goes on in these last two verses of chapter 19. And he's kind of speaking to his friends here. If you say, how will we pursue him? And the root of the matter is found in him. Be afraid of the sword, for wrath brings punishment. Of the sword, that you may know that there is a judgment. This is real good news in the midst of a very real world that is tough, that hurts, that breaks our hearts sometimes. And Resurrection Sunday can be a whole lot like Christmas. You know, there's there's an attitude and an atmosphere of joy and celebration, as well there should be. But our hearts just aren't in it sometimes. And God's word has a word for us in that situation. He has a word for us that simply could echo what Job says. I know that my redeemer lives. We all want to know that there's something going to remain of us in some way. Right. That we may be remembered for something beyond our worst. Beyond our failures. And Job was like that. Oh, that he said. In verse 23, oh, that my words were written. He says, oh, I just wish the truth of my life. And he knows in the heart of hearts that he doesn't deserve this in one sense. And that's true. And he says, I just wish my words would last. I wish that they were written with lead and a rock. Well, guess what, Brother Job? (laughs) They lasted, didn't they? Here we are reading from what probably is one of the earliest books of the Old Testament. And Job says, I wish, a word that my words could be permanent. And he goes from I wish to I know, just like that. Just like that. Our hearts are that way. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And we've been talking a lot about what a Redeemer is. And I'm not going to take a lot of time to go back, but in the Old Testament, the Redeemer is someone who takes responsibility. Someone quite often who is a member of the family, maybe even a remote member of family, a distant memory of the fa- a member of the family, who steps in and says, I will take responsibility. I will pay the bill. I will take care of the debt. I will provide. I will be the defender. I will be the champion. I'll be the one who steps in here and takes responsibility. That's the idea of the Redeemer. The Redeemer is also the one who says, I know this is going to be costly and I'm willing to pay it. I'm willing to take care of that. And Job says, I know that I have someone like that. This is a man at the very end of his rope. And that is not that is not hypothetical. He's at the end of his rope. He he decries the day he was born. 
And he says, yet I know my Redeemer lives. I know that it's an amazing statement of faith. Now, earlier, Job had said in chapter 9, if there were just someone to arbitrate, arbitrate between us, and the word actually is the idea, if there was just a referee, if there was a referee between me and God, who could settle this thing? He says to lay his hand upon both, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more. Earlier in chapter 16, he said, even now my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. My intercessor is my friend as my eyes pour out my tears to God. On behalf of a man, he pleads with God as a man pleads with his friends. There is a deep faith in Job that's just astounding because he didn't have the rest of the Old Testament. He didn't have the New Testament. The book of Job begins with him being a righteous man who worshipped God. Who with the revelation he had received recognized God for who he was as best as his eyes and heart could understand it. And he worshipped him. I know that my Redeemer is alive, Job says. Secondly, he says, I know that he will stand on the earth. And what he's saying there literally is I know that one day when my flesh is in the ground, he will stand in the dust or on the dust. Basically what Job is saying is I know that there's someone who is my redeemer who will be standing on my grave when I'm under it and in it. I know that this one is alive. And what he's talking about here is I know that in the end he will stand and vindicate me. I might not see it with these physical eyes, but I know that. He says, then, I know that I will see him with my own eyes. Do you hear that as he says that after and literally he says, after my skin has been thus destroyed and literally, folks, we know this. His flesh was falling off of him. What he wasn't scraping off with potsherds was falling off. He was a sick man. And he was literally watching himself just fade away to nothing. And he says, I know that after my skin is destroyed, In my flesh, I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. My eyes shall behold and not another. And the idea there in the Hebrew language is what all the Old Testament saints and what others feared, which is seeing God face to face. I know I will see him face to face. I know that that fellowship will be restored. What an amazing testimony. He says, my heart faints within me. The idea there is I've got butterflies in my gut just thinking about this. In the midst of this, my heart is crying. My tears are dried up. There's no more water there. My flesh is falling off my skin, my, my bones. My life is a mess. My children are dead. My possessions are gone. My house has been destroyed. The only ones still with me are these three friends and my wife, and all four of them together are doing me no good. But I know that my Redeemer lives. What a testimony. So here's the question. What should ours be? What should ours be this side of the cross? This side of the empty tomb? What should our testimony be? We have a better testimony than Brother Job because we have a living hope from this side of the resurrection, right? Amen? Somebody ought to amen that, all right? Somebody ought to amen. John Calvin said this about Job and us. Job spoke these words from the time when there was not yet great doctrine, when possibly the law of Moses had not yet been written. So then, having only a little spark of light, he was so strengthened in his afflictions 
Calvin said, what excuse will there be today when God declares, declares the, re- the resurrection to us so exactly and so explicitly, and he gives us such wonderful promises of it? And even considered that we see the mirror and substance of it in our Lord Jesus Christ, that he was raised in order to show us that we must not doubt and that we are at once partakers of this immortal glory. Calvin says, Job spoke these words and he had nothing to base them on other than a faith that he had seen and understood because of what God had revealed to him there. What God has revealed to us is, is this amazing redemptive story that we see throughout the scriptures, right? We see God making a promise in the Garden of Eden that he's going to crush the serpent and restore. We see it as he makes a promise to this old man named Abraham that was way too old to have kids. And God said, you'll have children, you'll have descendants that are greater than the sands of the shore and the stars in the heavens. He made that promise to him. He made that promise to his sons and to his grandsons. And he brought his people out of Egypt By the blood of that Passover lamb. So over and over and over we see this picture of God being faithful. We see this gospel picture begin to unfold for us. Job had none of that. And we have it all. Right? We have it all. We have the history that is recorded for us in the New Testament of Jesus' bodily resurrection. All four gospels, literally hundreds of eyewitnesses that have been validated throughout history. We have that history. We have before us the promise of Scripture and the testimony of saints before us that we too will be raised. We have that before us. And then we have the teaching of God's Word that tells us what that's going to be like. Paul gives us clear clear direction of what that's going to look like in 1 Corinthians. We have the book of Revelation that we've studied recently that shows us how it's going to play out. We have all of that. So our testimony is a living hope that Peter, I think, best describes in chapter 1 of 1 Peter. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. That's what we have. A living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Can we think for just a minute about this one who writes these words? All right. I think what gives that that truth from Peter so much significance, at least to me, is that it comes from Peter. Right. It comes from Peter. Think about it. Peter was the one who said all these other losers. This is my paraphrase. Okay, it's not exactly what he said. But in that upper room with Jesus, as Jesus was washing their feet and then he said, all of you will flee. In fact, Peter, he said, you will betray me this morning before the cock crows. And and Peter said, all these others may flee, but I will die for you. And then just a few hours later, he stands in front of a little servant girl and denies once, twice, three times that he knows Jesus. He denies him with cursing. That's Peter. That's Peter who says, I have a living hope. I read from Mark earlier. Did you catch it? The angel told the women, do not be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and who? Peter. Tell his disciples and Peter. I think there's a lot of significance there. And I think we see that significance later on in the Gospel of John in chapter 21. Jesus revealed himself to various people there in John 
And Peter does what a fisherman would do when all of his plans have played out. Everything that he thought was going to take place didn't. I'm going fishing. And some of the other guys said, we'll go with you. And it didn't pan out that night. They didn't do well. Jesus comes walking to them on the shore. It says in John chapter 21, verse 1, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Later on, it says, when they got out on land, they saw charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. I left out part of that just intentionally just to save a little bit of time. They recognize that it's Jesus. And what does Peter do? He takes his clothes off and jumps in the, jumps in the lake and swims to Christ while the others are bringing the boat in. I believe Jesus came to that place on that morning and cooked breakfast and fixed it and prepared it for all of those disciples, but especially for this denier named Peter, who would later say, I have a living hope. I have a living hope. I wrote this in a little article in our newsletter earlier this month. I think it's amazing that God says that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Being the God of Abraham is something that I think any of us might want to say. I'm with him. Abraham was this man of faith, this model of faith. Isaac was this patient man who waited on God, waited on his wife, who was just so faithful. Jacob, Jacob was a liar and a deceiver. And yet God repeatedly says, I am the God of Jacob. And this morning he would say, I'm the God of Peter, the denier. The coward, the one who has big boast but can't always follow them up. <laughs> That's that God. That's our God. And in John 21, we have this amazing post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. Peter's frailty, his failures, his pride, his denial, all of that are this black backdrop to this shining example of Jesus' compassion and love and forgiveness And that same Jesus alive on that lake shore is alive this morning through the power of his Holy Spirit, through the power of his word to come and care for you, love you, restore you. And just like he did, Peter, I believe, commission you, give you a purpose for your life. If he's the God of Jacob and Peter and Gerald. Being your God, he can handle it, right? He can handle it. And Jesus rose from the grave. To tell us and show us that deceivers and deniers who deserve condemnation instead receive grace, instead receive forgiveness, instead are fed, cared for, and redeemed. That's what the living Jesus does. He's the one who takes our guilt, our sin, our deception, our denial, our rebellion, and bears the punishment that we deserve. Paul put it this way. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God and indeed is interceding for us in Romans 8, 34. The resurrected Jesus came to Peter that morning. The resurrected Jesus comes here this morning. 
All Job has was a faint, all he had was just that faint little light of promise. We have the risen Savior. So as not to just walk away, though, very casually, Job added something at the end of that section that I think is significant. He, he again speaks to these friends who have been around him. They've showed zero grace. They've showed zero forgiveness. They've showed zero understanding. And he said, if you say, he's speaking, if you say, how will we pursue him? The root of the matter is found in him. Basically, they're still saying, Job, it's your fault. There's no grace there. There's no forgiveness there. Their mantra, listen to this, their mantra is, Job, you are getting what you deserve. You are getting... And that's what—that's the way this world will run well, they're saying. When you get what you when people get what they deserve, we'll all be better off. Careful. Careful with that. Those who live by the sword will die by it. He says, so that you may know there is a judgment. Job's friends had no grace to give. And they had no place to receive grace. So this morning... As you hear grace sung, as you hear the gospel sung, this morning as you see the gospel lived out and testified to through baptism, being dead in Christ, buried with him and raised with him in the newness of life, this morning as you hear this invitation, as you see the extent that Jesus came and, and, and what he did, leaving heaven and coming to this earth and taking on our flesh, taking on our humanity, but yet living it out perfectly and dying in our place, being buried and then raised. It was God's way, as I said this morning at the sunrise service, of saying it is paid in full. It is done. And that living Savior this morning is extending to you that same forgiveness and grace that he extended to Peter that day. So go away from here filled with the joy of Easter. Go away from here with the songs ringing in your ears. That's good. Don't leave here today without Jesus. Don't leave here today without Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Your Word tells us clearly that You were willing to leave the glory of heaven and come to this earth. And to take on not just the form of humanity, but the very form of a slave. You came not to be served, but to serve and to give Your life as a ransom, to redeem Lost sinners and rebels like me and so many, like all of us, you came to redeem us. You died, you were buried, you were raised. And in that, God, you proclaimed your amen, your approval. No longer is wrath promised to those who are outside of you. But now instead is grace to those who are in, who are in Christ. Thank you for that. Thank you for showing us the picture of it in Job. Thank you for showing us the reality of it, Lord. In Jesus, as he comes back from the dead, restores Peter, and comes to us this morning, Lord, offering grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Thank you for that, Father. And we pray that these gospel words that have been sung and prayed and spoken and demonstrated in the baptistry, Lord, would be seeds that are planted in people's hearts, that someone today, Lord, would repent of their sin, trust in Jesus, and by grace, Lord, be made a new creature in Christ. And that the rest of us, Lord, would be filled with such joy and a sense of urgency, Lord, to take that good news out to others. Father, we do bless you and thank you today. And we thank you for that in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus. Amen.
I'll be down front here to pray with you, encourage you as we sing this wonderful testimony of our living hope. Let's stand together. Yeah. Mm-hmm.